Hello and welcome to the Be Bold Fitness Podcast, the show where we talk about taboo topics in the health, wellness, and fitness space. No topic is off limits here. I'm your host, Tessa Breeden, certified personal trainer and nutrition specialist with a passion for helping women to get fit, feel good, and live boldly. All right, welcome to the Be Bold Fitness Podcast. Alyssa Cornett, self-proclaimed confidence coach, empowerment enthusiast, and women's therapist. Alyssa is a licensed marriage and family therapist here in Austin, Texas. So Alyssa, please introduce yourself to everybody. Give them a little bit of your background. And again, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, Tessa, thank you so much for having me. And I love that intro. I think that is very much verbatim what I believe in and also what I hope that women will connect with really deeply in terms of what they're seeking. Um, I am, like like you were saying, licensed marriage family therapist, but also a therapist and personal development coach. And I help women essentially reclaim their strongest sense of self and also really hone in on building and strengthening their confidence in order to step into the life that they want in the way that they want. Um, that can look so many different ways. Um, we are all our own unique beings. And so each pathway is very different to get there. But in terms of my work with women, I really just help them cultivate that journey uh, in a way that serves them best. So I love that. And Alyssa, I know that looking on your website, I saw that you coach women on a multitude of things going from generalized anxiety and depression disorders, um, body image, intimacy and sexuality, unhealthy relationship patterns, things like those. And so I want to dive into some of the juicy stuff later on in this podcast. But I also want to talk a little bit about why therapy is so important. Now, I know on my platform, I've spoken about this for years and have had not only clients reach out to me, but friends reach out to me um, in regards to my journey. Now, I've been seeing my same therapist since I lived in Las Vegas. I started seeing Mm -hmm. her in, I think, 2016, and we've developed a really, really great relationship. And it took me a very long time to get to a place where I thought that I quote unquote, needed therapy. Um, so can you talk a little bit about why why somebody would even want to start seeing a therapist or when they know is the, again, quote unquote, right time to do so? Yeah, that's a really great question. I feel that most will seek out therapy when they feel like there is a pretty predominant issue arising in their life or they're feeling some very immense distress. And although that is a really important time to seek out support. I also firmly believe in seeking out therapy or even just coaching in uh, a season of life where you are also desiring some guidance and some nurturance around maybe transitions that you're going through or really wanting some help uh, navigating some curiosities in your life or things that you might just almost need some tweaking on. So I really, I'm a little biased when I say this, but do firmly believe that you can seek out therapy at any time of your life. Um, But most often people will engage in it in the process when they're going through transitions or when they feel like there is something that is creating an issue in their life and they're feeling a lot of distress about it. So that tends to be 
the primary reason that people come in, but I always encourage to seek it out whenever you want even some guidance. Yeah, I love that because I think that there's sort of this misconception that something has to be going wrong for you to start seeing therapy. Now, again, coming from a personal experience, I felt like things were just snowballing down a ginormous hill and I was losing control of everything. And so that initially sparked it for me. But just because you're not experiencing these negative effects, does that mean that you shouldn't seek out therapy? Or um, do you think that somebody that has a relatively calm and anxiety-free life would still benefit from seeing a therapist or even a coach? Yeah, absolutely. I think that the time in which to seek it out is going to be unique to everyone. Um, I would really encourage for women specifically to to dive into what they're feeling in terms of their life and if they could really benefit from having an unbiased, non-judgmental perspective on getting getting just some input around what whatever they might be going through. Um, I believe I, I, my, I work with women through a full spectrum of experiences and many of them on one end are really struggling with some transitions in their life. And then on the other end, many are hoping to just kind of step into a new, whether it be career or relationship or environment that they believe will serve them um, even more in their lives. And so there really are so many different opportunities to step in and so many moments and seasons in our life that can really use some additional support. So I would also encourage you know women to really take stock of their own coping skills. If you feel like you are going through a tough, tough season and you're struggling to acknowledge in what way you're responding to that, if you're noticing that maybe you're drinking a little bit more than it feels comfortable, um, or all of a sudden that isn't a, a decompression or something that you go to, to, to add additional joy, I would say to an experience, but rather it's something to numb or to quiet some pain then notice that within yourself and be thoughtful about the way in which maybe coping or uh, coping skills are shifting and maybe the way in which you're engaging in certain behaviors and activities are also shifting. And those can be really good signs for us to even pay attention to on a more covert level. We might not overtly know that something is going on, but when we start noticing our behaviors and our actions and that those are suddenly not in alignment with our values, that's a really wonderful time to seek out and ask what's going on. Yeah. So you're telling women out there that they need to be a little bit more in tune with themselves is what it sounds like to me. That can always be scary for people to take a look Mm -hmm. in the mirror and say, oh my gosh, this is what I'm doing. And this is not what I used to be doing. But no, I think those are all really great things. And again, you just bring up so many awesome points. But I think one of the other reasons a lot of women that I talk to have a hard time wrapping their brain around the idea of a therapist is because they have such a hard time finding somebody and finding somebody that's a good fit for them. So how does somebody go about starting to find a therapist and like making sure it's the right one for them? Yes. Well, you brought up a really important element with your own experience that the relationship at the core of this matters the most. You, The relationship between the therapist and client has to be one that feels nurturing and challenging and supportive and safe in order for us to feel like we can actually engage in the process. 
Um, so when I will have consultation calls with women prior to us potentially beginning services, I will always encourage have almost shop around, have conversations with multiple therapists, get a feel for them. Um, again, kind of coming back into checking in with how we're feeling and being really intuitive with that. Get a feel for what you experience out of the conversation itself. But then some really important questions to be asking when you're having those conversations are, what what is the background of this therapist or this coach and what uh, do they specifically bring into the work and how will the work that you do with them look um again everybody's journey is unique but most uh, therapists and coaches will have a framework that they come from in terms of supporting people so really getting engaged in those conversations from them about what what they do and how they do it. And then more, most importantly, just how you feel when you're talking with them. Um, personal referrals are my favorite way uh, for people to get uh, really quality therapy recommendations. I think that there is such strength in knowing that somebody that you respect or love and care about is suggesting somebody that has either been really helpful for them personally or that they know has been really helpful to people that they know. Um, so personal recommendations are the, I would say, the top uh, referral source for me that I would encourage for, for many. But in the same breath, mental health is still unfortunately very stigmatized. So it can be really difficult for us to feel comfortable asking other people that we love, hey, who's your therapist? Or hey, do you have a recommendation? So if you don't necessarily feel comfortable reaching out or confiding in somebody and asking for that referral, then there are a few really great platforms out there and search engines um, that are specific to finding a therapist, like Therapy Den and Inclusive Therapist is one that began here in Austin. Um, you know, one that has a really wide range of options is also psychology today. All of those are really wonderful search engines that you can use to put in specifics about, okay, am I experiencing anxiety or relationship issues or sexual health issues? And it'll help tailor down, uh, the therapist options for you based off of that. And then beyond that, um, I would encourage to, if you're choosing to, to use your insurance, you can reach out to your insurance and they can offer you a list of providers. Um, so that's always a route as well uh, that I would encourage people to go if they are really limited in their options. Yeah, I use psychology today to find my therapist. And I think it should also be noted, again, I'm speaking from a personal experience here, like my first session with my therapist wasn't anything like groundbreaking. And I think I went in with all of these expectations that it was going to be like amazing and emotional and these connections and all of these things. And it was literally like none of that. It was just a conversation with a stranger that I knew that she couldn't share with other people. But I actually didn't shop around because I'm lazy. And if I like enjoy somebody enough the first time, I'm like, okay, yeah. well, they were good enough. And yeah. it took me a little bit to get used to her, but we finally started getting in this routine of things. And again, that comfort level just came yeah. along with it. And I think another important thing is like, you don't always have, like, you don't have to stay with the same therapist for years and years. Like I'm kind of at that point where I love my therapist. We have a great relationship, but 
there might be a point where I need something slightly different than what she can offer me. Like at the beginning, she would give me a lot of homework and I was good at it. And then a couple months in, I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to do the homework again. I'm lazy when it comes to stuff (laughs) like that. Like if you give me paperwork to fill out, there's like a very good chance I won't do the work. And so I had to tell her like, Hey, I'm not going to do this. Like she gave me a book probably a year ago. I reference it all the time, but I'm like still slowly reading the book. So every time she gives me a book recommendation, I'm like, I'll, I'll get back to you in a few months (laughs) or a few years, you know, it's going to be okay. (laughs) We never know when I'll finish it. And she'll be like, did you highlight some pages? I'll be like, um, I just didn't have time to get to it. (laughs) Yes. Which is totally natural. And I love that you bring that in because it is a part of the process of knowing that, A, you don't have to be in therapy for years and you don't also have to be in with the same therapist for that amount of time either. Um, Getting to know the way in which you show up in, I think, the process really makes the difference. So if you are feeling like you are getting something, anything really in regards to the work that you're seeking out of that, then it's a great fit, right? Um, And that I would also encourage people to kind of be thoughtful about what they do feel from the process and what they do feel from the sessions that they have. And I call it sometimes a, a vulnerability hangover because we can feel in some sessions like we are just sharing and sharing and sharing And then we need some time to decompress. And so we feel very drained and exhausted and sometimes just really not not really feeling our best selves. But it's because we just express so much deep emotion and vulnerability that it can feel exhausting. Um, And then we sometimes can leave sessions feeling so confident, so motivated, so optimistic, so driven towards reaching for something that we might be working on. And so there's such a variety, I think, of reactivities through the process that is important to notice in terms of how you feel when you are wrapping up. Um, that said as well, that you highlighted a really important issue that you will go through such a variety um, of experiences in your life and seasons in your life too, that you might need somebody different for those seasons. And that is completely okay. And definitely something that as a therapist, we would encourage you to seek out some support that is really fine tuned to what you're going through. So if that is something that your therapist that you're already working with isn't necessarily offering specifically or um, doesn't have as much experience in that area, then they would hopefully, I would hopefully encourage most therapists that will do this, will give you referrals to uh, other therapists that can really help guide you in the direction that you need. Yeah, I think it's always important people remember that life happens in seasons because again, I've been seeing my therapist for quite a while. And when I initially went in, I was expecting like all of this groundbreaking stuff to happen over like the first few months of us seeing each other. And one, that's like absolutely not what happened because that's just not always the reality for a majority of people. But we spent the first couple of years where I was feeling really drained after sessions. And it was just like so many things that I hadn't talked about with anybody else that I was finally like putting out into the universe. And I was like, holy moly, that's a lot. And now we're kind of at the point where 
I only see her once a month just for my own clarification when I have certain things that come up or old mindset things that are happening, Mm -hmm. even in my business, if I don't feel like I'm being super successful. And she kind of, I, I guess the best way to describe it is she really grounds me and is like, look how far you've come. Remember when X, Y, and Z happened, or remember when you dated X, Y, and Z person and they taught you this lesson, look how you've shifted that. Or she'll even tell me like, wow, you've learned all of these coping skills that you didn't have previously, or look how you can now change the way you see relationships. And so there's so many shifts that happen. And I think that's almost one of the cooler things that if you do see somebody for a long time, they almost refer back to what you were doing in the beginning. And they're like, Mm -hmm. look how much you've grown because Mm -hmm. so much happens, but not every season is going to be like dramatic and crying Mm -hmm. or major breakthroughs. Sometimes it's just going to be somebody you're talking to, to bring you back to reality to be like, Hey, all these things are going pretty darn well. And um, she and I took a few months off when I was traveling in Europe and I ended up coming back and was like, okay, four months off was too much. I'm ready to go. And she's like, glad you're back. Yes. Well, and that's so, it's so true that we will have, yes, seasons of life that won't always evoke some really deep processing, but then we will have other moments where we might need specific refreshers. And from our perspective, as the therapist perspective, we do see your life in snapshots, whereas you get to see this every single day. And so it can be really difficult when we are living day to day and sometimes feeling um, all of the things really coming up and not being able to see how either far we've come or how much work we've been doing or really the, the benefits of the labor that we're putting into the development of our lives. And so it can be, I think, a nice refresher to, yeah, check back in with your therapist. And even if it is on a monthly basis or every other month basis, is just a, a little bit of a maintenance to say, hey, just regrounding wanting to get your guidance, wanting to get your perspective. I've fallen into a few holes here and there and having somebody remind you and reassure you that you're still doing amazing and even more so than when you started is a validation that we don't often give ourselves the credit for. So, No, yeah, it's really great. And I, again, I'm a huge proponent in seeing somebody, even if you're in a I guess, good or a stagnant place in life because it's just nice to have that unbiased opinion to talk to. It's basically, I always joke, I'm like, she's like my paid best friend. She knows all my secrets and I get one hour with her, Uh, but no, it's great. Okay, Alyssa, I want to dive into some juicy juicy things. So I had posted on my Instagram. I also reached out to all of my clients asking some specific questions and I got some things that I found to be really interesting. Now, As I mentioned to you before we hopped on, I try to generalize these as much as possible, but hopefully people find these to be really helpful answers to some questions that are out there. Some of these things, again, were asked by my clients, friends on social media, or myself. So you coach women on a range of things. So I want to dive into some of the fun stuff that, again, people might just find enjoyable. And so one of my favorite things to talk about with my own therapist is my dating life. I've been single for a very long time, which again, I'm pretty open about. And I think so often, especially women, we find ourselves dating the same type of person over and over. And I want to talk about 
why that is and what we can do in those situations when we continue to seek out the same type of person, whether it's we're seeking out somebody that we're trying to fix or somebody mm-hmm. that treats us poorly or somebody that does X, Y, and Z. Can you speak on that a little bit? Yes, of course. I think that's a very common issue that tends to come up in many of the conversations that I have with women. And first, I want to say our brains are not wired to thrive. They are wired to survive. And so we often will fall into the same relationship patterns because it's what we know. It is a comfort for us. Our brain can connect to it. It can expect it. it it's predictable. And to some degree, we will still seek those things, not necessarily intentionally, but we will tend to gravitate towards specific kinds of people or specific kinds of traits or characteristics because our brain has connected to knowing that. So there's a certainty about it. And when we address an issue or a pattern, it has to start coming back to what is it about me that is seeking this? What am I hoping for out of trying to fix someone? What is it about the, <laughs> what is it I about? feel like I'm getting my own personal therapy <laughs> session right now. I'm like, wait a minute. My eyes are going wide. I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> should I be taking notes? <laughs> um, what is it within us that is gravitating towards this kind of person? Why do we seek out uh, emotionally unavailable partners and what does that evoke within ourselves? Oftentimes we will, it sounds very uh, centered on the self, but we will want to nourish something that we are either comfortable doing, know how to do, or are deeply missing and know that we can find that in that partner. And how this can sometimes look is uh, if we have fallen into a particular pattern or place in our life that we are always serving as women. I think that that is a high consistency for many of us. We are unfortunately socialized and expected to be the primary caregiver or to be the provider or the caretaker. And so when partners are emotionally unavailable or um, are distant per se, then we will lean in because it feels almost by default a natural response for us to want to help support them in any capacity. So that is more of a specific kind of example, but to zoom out on that, it is, we are creatures of comfort and we will seek that out because it's what we know. Oh man. Wow. So, (laughs) so is this something that we can change? Do we have the ability to make these shifts? Yes. A hundred percent. When I say that it comes back to us is that we can do the deep dive into discovering why we gravitate towards those things. Oftentimes it has nothing to do with the partner. It oftentimes has most to do with what we are trying to crave. And if we can hone in on what about that pattern is evoking something in us or in what way is that particular characteristic serving for us, then we can do the internal work to discovering, okay, what am, what do I feel like I might need to nurture within myself as opposed to going outside or into an external partnership in order to do so. 
So the power really does lie within us to interrupt that pattern, but it does take some pretty drastic changes. And so what that entails for us is essentially selecting an alternative pattern, um, selecting something that is <laughs> that is boring to us sometimes, that is challenging for us sometimes. Uh, many women will unfortunately fall into very chaotic relationships because again, not only is it what they know, but it um, the adverse of that, people will understand that the chaos creates almost an excitement within them, right? We see this often with toxic relationships that you'll get into massive arguments and then you have a massive repair that tends to be really wrapped up in passion and fire and all of this stuff when in reality it isn't healthy for our nervous system to go in and out of that regularly. But if we find ourselves in a stable or secure relationship, that can feel very foreign because we're so used to chaos. We're so used to the up and down. And many women will walk away from a quieter, calmer relationship because they they feel as if there isn't passion there when in reality it is a sense of safety that they don't they haven't learned or haven't discovered until that point all right so single ladies we all got some homework to do it sounds like <laughs> sounds like we got to get out there dating yeah you know it's so funny i'm i feel like i'm the kind of person that's the helper i always seek people that are either emotionally unavailable or people that I think that I can fix. And I've been working with my therapist a lot on that because I'm like, I'm always trying to find somebody that I can fix, which is so interesting because of what I do for work, mm. where I'm not fixing people, but I'm, I am helping people to better yeah. their lives. And so when I am in a partnership, I often feel like I'm trying to do something to better their lives. And I'm always like fixing and I'm sure that they hate that. So probably... Mm one of the reasons I'm single. So maybe I need a little more chaos. No, just kidding. <laughs> I'm like, I need the excitement. I need the chaos. I need somebody to match my energy. But um, no, I think that's so helpful because this is, again, something that is super common, especially for women that are in their mid to late 20s into their mid 30s that have just had really no success in the dating life or this weird online dating world that we live in. Um, mm. I mean, we're literally finding partners through apps and through photos and what a time to be alive. Right. We live in swipe culture, right? And so when we are engaging in that kind of relationship interaction, it's not natural, right? And I don't say that it can't be useful, but it isn't a natural experience just as much as Zoom became prevalent during the pandemic and people got Zoom fatigue, right? We were mm -hmm. on our screens so often throughout the day, but it's not natural for us to sit and stare at someone for extended amounts of time. We typically have in interactions happening around us that allow us the natural flow and break within our are very present happening. And it's not to say that we can't be present with that person, but when we break it down back down to using dating apps and, and just living in swipe culture, it, we have the ability to go in and out of that much 
more quickly than we used to. And in turn, we're not engaging as naturally as we used to. And so it can feel really foreign to have to essentially scan for things that we didn't used to have to scan for. So not only is the dating pool, I think, a tough one to be swimming in, but also I hope that women recognize that this is also a, a very different way than human interaction is uh, discovered in the first place. Yeah, and I think that talking about swipe culture and social media and what we live in right now is super interesting because I think for a lot of people, it can also lead to um, a lot of options out there. And so if somebody's in a monogamous relationship, like we talk a little bit about the things that are okay and like what boundaries can be crossed. And I, I think we also have to state that boundaries for each relationship are going to look super different. But if you're in a monogamous relationship or a marriage and there is all of this social media out there, you're meeting a lot of new people when you're young, like, is there a certain boundary to the flirting that can happen that crosses a line versus when it's okay? Absolutely. Well, I think that (laughs) word makes a big difference, right? Boundaries. And having being in a committed monogamous relationship with someone we oftentimes will unconsciously create a relationship agreement right so most often these aren't things that we will overtly discuss with our partners we just know by default because of what we have come to know about a relationship which can very often lead to conflict with partners because they haven't had the conversation together about what feels okay and what doesn't feel okay. Um, When it comes to flirting and looking at others when you're out in the world, short answer, I think that that can be really healthy for us to just gain more information about ourselves, if anything. Mm -hmm. We can discover so much about what lights us up and what excites us and what turns us on and be able to translate that energy to our partnership. And the value in that can be really nurturing for the development of the relationship with your with your significant other um, by allowing yourself the permission and the flow of it. I would be really curious to encourage women to dig into maybe why they're more so than anything, why they're feeling apprehension about flirting or why they're feeling apprehension about even looking at others um, in terms of, of the way in which they feel, but also what is backing that thought. Is it coming from a belief system, right? And is that belief system yours? Or is that a societal belief system? Is that a religious belief system? Is that uh, what you've come to know about just relationships based off of your own experiences, right? Which might not actually be applicable for the one that you're in. So being really conscious about what emotions are being evoked and if those are coming from you or somebody else and being able to just use it as a tool. Think really thoughtfully about what you are experiencing in those moments. And if it feels like something that is beginning to cross a boundary, then being thoughtful about what that boundary is and then how to engage in a way that can be of service to you and your partner. And to have conversation openly with your partner prior to some of those experiences. We don't always have the opportunity to have that uh, 
before it happens, but yeah. it can be really helpful to almost have a game plan. If you get hit on at a bar, you know, or it's, is it okay for you to lean into that to get a drink or is it something that would feel or to even just have a conversation or to enhance your experience when you're out with your girlfriends, you know, whatever that might be, having open dialogue with your partner can be really helpful to creating a sense of ease in those moments. So you don't have the anxiety that often comes with what do I do with this? Yeah, I love that. Not that I'm I'm absolutely no relationship expert, clearly, but I think it's also important to note that one, some people have a bit more of a flirtatious, flirtatious mm-hmm. personality and making sure, again, that boundary is set with their partners in terms of what that looks like for them. Mm-hmm. But also, I think what you said about taking note in terms of what mentally or emotionally feels like you're crossing a boundary, because I think that mm-hmm. if you are in a committed relationship and you love somebody and you find your partner really sexy, just because you see a guy and you're like, wow, that person's really attractive, doesn't mean you want to rip that person's clothes off. Right. <laughs> so I think there's that fine line. But um, you had also said something in terms of just exploring that for women, because it can really teach you what you want or what you need. And I think that essentially what you're saying is that partners need to have more open communication to understand where each of them sits. And so that kind of leads me into more of a taboo topic of having communication with partners and sexual pleasure. Um, I know this is something that people find really odd to talk about, whether it's in close friendships, whether it's with their therapist. I think sex is like kind of that thing that people still get weird about, or a lot of people still get weird about. And like, how do women start talking more openly about it, either with their partners, with their friends? And like, why is it so taboo? Right, right. That's, I think, the important thing is why, how did we get here? Um, For to to break it down as simply as I can here, education and communication. So the education on sexual health is so limited and is so fragmented. And so we, a bulk of us grew up in environments and were exposed to, you know, education that was not informative whatsoever about pleasure. It was very, um, very based on our physical engagement and the reactivity to that. And although very important to acknowledge um, the biological reactivity that exists in sex, it completely negates the beautiful element of what sex can bring, which is so much intimacy and connection and pleasure and freedom. And so in short, there's a huge flaw in our education around it. Um, And then our communication around that. If you were to look at the massive amount of porn that is focused on male desire it will heavily outweigh any any focus on female desire. That is changing significantly, thank goodness, and um, on across multiple platforms that there is more um, of an effective experience towards focusing on the female just pleasure and um, female experience in itself, but it still has a long way to go. And so we don't have a lot of exposure to those things. And I think in terms of what has created those those areas to be so taboo really does 
land on the way in which our society responds to what we're given. And we have had to forge, it feels like women, we feel we forge a lot of our own pathways, but it <laughs> seems as if um, this specifically feels like it's only one that we can talk about behind closed doors. And even in the therapy office, it can be really difficult for women to go into that space. And so it is so heavily, unfortunately, shamed for us to get there and for us to work through the layers that have really drowned out our own pleasure is a journey in itself before we even get to the opportunity of what do I want and what does excite me and how do I engage in this with my partner, with myself, most importantly. Um, so that I think on the forefront has really contributed to why this is such a taboo topic. We are not set up for success in terms of being able to speak to it. Um, but I also believe that pleasure, you had said something that uh, sparked a thought here that pleasure really does come back to more of the question of what do I want? Right. Mm -hmm. And many, for many of us, that question is easier asked than answered. And the reason behind that, I believe, is because we are buried under layers of other people's expectations. And whether that is our intimate partners, whether that is what, what are our friends doing, whether that is, okay, what is society doing? What is society expecting of me? And refocusing the attention away from being a helper or a giver to, of a, to a partner, but rather turning that back inward and, okay, well, what is it? that I want to engage in for me is a huge part of, I think, the process of coming to a place of comfort with our own pleasure and knowing how we even start having those start to have those conversations can be really confusing when it's already a taboo topic, right? Yeah, I feel like this is actually one of the reasons I find therapy to be really helpful because a lot of what you're saying is more so internal work. Yes, you have to communicate with your partner, but I think ultimately it comes down to you communicating with yourself and mm -hmm. getting to a place where you're comfortable speaking about certain things. Now, there are really great resources out there. The one that I know of is the Rosie app, which is a really mm -hmm. great sexual yeah. wellness app for women. Um, they provide a ton of services in there. They provide one-on-one on sexual counseling. They provide yeah. anonymous group calls. They provide um, tons of like daily practices. So that's mm -hmm. the one I'm familiar with. And Alyssa, after we get off, you can obviously send me any if you have any that I can put in the show notes. But yeah. how does somebody go about starting these types of conversations with a partner? Mm. Well, I do believe that that we have to come back to the conversation with ourselves first. So although I love the impact that it can create with our partners, I think if we don't have a full grasp on what it is that we truly enjoy independently, then that is going to make the conversation with our partner that much more difficult and complex. So I would really encourage strengthening the, the knowledge that each woman has of their own bodies of their own desire, of their own turn-ons, and of their own pleasure. And often what comes into play with that is a, is a level of confidence that many of us don't carry as strongly as we would hope for. And um, Esther Perel is a really wonderful, uh, renowned sex therapist, and she uh, brought in this idea of turning ourselves on and what that looks like and what that feels like. And even beyond 
beyond just the sexual component, but purely engaging in things in our lives that really light uh, light us up and that really get this internal fire going. And so that will that will start to look like listening to music that you feel pumped up by. That will look like you engaging in an interest or a hobby that you really feel alive in. That will look like dressing a certain way because you know that you look so fucking phenomenal in that outfit, right? Like yes. if we aren't working towards building our own self-confidence up, then translating that and translating our wants and our desires into the bedroom is going to be astronomically challenging for many of us. And so I would always encourage women that if you want a starting place in terms of really fine tuning and connecting to your own desire and your own pleasure is start in your day to day. How often are you engaging in things that light you up? How often are you engaging in things that really set your soul on fire and really get you excited about life and and being in your element, I think too, Tessa, I imagine that you have like moments in your coaching sessions where you are just feeling it, right? Uh, and what happens when you're feeling it? You're likely turned on by yourself. You're like, yes, I'm a badass, <laughs> right? Like yeah. if we can, if we can create more of those moments, then going back to your question about how do we engage in our par- that kind of conversation with our partners, then we feel a sense of confidence in ourselves. And that begins to translate to feeling more able to ask for what we want, more free to feel like what we do want is completely acceptable and deserves validation and attention and honor. And if we can enforce, reinforce that within ourselves and those conversations become a lot more fluid and a lot more flowing. And I would Definitely say it can still be really playful. You know, having conversations with your partner doesn't have to be like, let's sit down and talk about this. It can be, hey, I am really interested in trying this out. Do you have any any thoughts about that? And and being able to playfully engage in your own desires with your partner. And I would definitely encourage a reflection of your relationship. Does it feel like they are open to receiving? Um, whatever you, whatever desire you might have, that's going to be important for reinforcing those moments. So uh, there's a lot of different nuances there, but I would definitely say again, coming back to that internal work, like find out what turns you on independently, separate of anyone else. And then once you feel that confidence, start to engage with that on your own and then move that into a partnership. So what happens in the case that somebody is having a lot of issues with their own body image and really wants to work on self-love, but they're having a bit of trouble loving themselves. Is that going to play a part in all of these things? And how do they kind of change those views of hating their bodies into loving their bodies? Obviously, I work with women. A majority of women that I work with are on some sort of weight loss journey or on some sort of body transformation journey. And (laughs) although it may not just be sex related, um, how do they kind of shift those mindsets so that they can have a better all self-love, which is then going to translate into their relationships and things like that? Yeah, I would say this one gets my heart going because I think, unfortunately, almost all of us deal with some form of body shame and have experienced that over the span of our lifetime. And it... um, it's reinforced by, you know, the industries that are 
were created to help support confidence. So it feels contradictory um, for many of us to feel a sense of comfort in our own skin. And purely, I would say a starting place for that would be to pay attention to your own self-talk. How do you talk to yourself about your body? And how do you feel when you hear what you have to say about it? We have such great power in in creating change, but we will oftentimes give that power out to so many other people that it feels like when we finally get to turn back inward, then we have very little left for ourselves. So a lot of power lies within how are you speaking to yourself? What does your self-talk sound like? And uh, more than anything, being thoughtful about what is contributing to that self-talk. On a societal level, we have images and, um, you know, so many different avenues that reach us that are harmful to our own health and well-being. And so that is first, uh, you know, an unfortunate reality that we live in. We do, I think our, we are experiencing a significant swing towards being more acceptance of all bodies, shapes, and sizes. And and that is such a hopeful, I think, thing for many of us because it's there's nothing quite like being able to see another person that looks more like you to instill a sense of comfort and confidence so that you can continue to show up to your life in the way that you want. But there is a, a part of, I think, the idea of loving ourselves that many will struggle with because of what we call toxic positivity culture which is love your body all the time, no matter what. (laughs) And first and foremost, that's not realistic. And it's not how our brains are wired. Again, our brains are wired to survive. And if that survival is based off of, okay, this particular type of person gets this particular kind of response or treatment, then our brain is going to connect to that and say, Mm -hmm. okay, I need to reach that. I need to be that because that is what I'm seeing thrive, even if it's not realistic, it's still what our brain will process. So we, I think, have to start to not only translate the way in which we're talking about ourselves, but also acknowledge and create some room for moments and days when we might not love our bodies and that's okay. I think that we have to also make space for the fact that some will want to change their bodies and that's also okay. It doesn't mean that we don't love ourselves, but it does mean that we may be hoping for something that will help enhance our confidence as long as we are making sure that we are not subscribing to what our brain is trying to survive through, right? It's more aligned with what we value. And I think a good starting place for that can be encouraging women to redefine health for themselves. My definition of health will look different than your definition of health and it'll look different from the next woman's and the next woman's. And I deeply encourage an evaluation of what we connect to in regards to health and in regards to the relationship with our bodies. For me, health represents feeling motivated and energized and alive and vibrant, right? But that doesn't have anything to do with the way that I look. It's the way that I feel. And so if we are engaging in the kind of day to day with activities and behaviors that are in alignment with our definition and alignment with our values for life, then we will feel more accepting of the moments when we 
might not love our bodies and then really elevate it in the moments that we do. Yeah. And I think it's a conversation that needs to happen a bit more often because again, being in the fitness space, I think that people oftentimes just assume that should somebody be fit or skinny or whatever somebody else Mm -hmm. perceives them to be, that they are really thrilled with their body. I had asked a client recently, I was like, how are you feeling? And she's like, some days are good. Some days are eh. I'm like, get that. Totally get that. I think that, again, there's this misconception that because somebody has a quote unquote perfect body or this ideal body that somebody else perceives it to be, that person may not internally be feeling that. And for me personally, it goes so much more than just the self-talk because I am so bad at like standing in front of the mirror and giving myself compliments. I have always found that to be a very awkward practice. Now I know it works for a lot of people. I know putting like notes on the mirror help for a lot of people, but something I always tell my clients is I said, if there's a night that you feel really sexy in your pajamas or a dress you're wearing, or just like in your underwear, I was like, snap some photos of yourself and keep them in like a hidden file on your phone to look Mm -hmm. back at. Because as silly as it is, taking a few photos of yourself, whether again, it's in a bikini or when you're feeling really good, and then remembering the sensation and the emotion you had in that moment can almost like spark that self-love in you. But again, when talking back to sexual pleasure, when you think like, wow, I looked so fucking hot. Mm -hmm. That turns you on. And then it puts you in that mood when you are with your partner and you're thinking, oh, I hate my body today. I ate like shit, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And then you do this photo and you're like, oh my God, that's actually what I look like. I took those photos two days ago and I look so good. And so that's the thing I always tell my clients. I'm like, hey, find a day when you feel really sexy, take a couple pictures of yourself, hide them away, send them to your boyfriend, whatever. Doesn't matter. You don't have to show anybody, but just having that and having that emotional connection tied to it, I think is helpful for a lot of people when it comes to coming back to that self-love quite a bit. Yes. Well, it's a visual reminder, right? That evokes emotion in you that connects to our sense of confidence and all of, all of that is intertwined. So yes, I would, I would so uh, deeply agree to that. And it would preface that to women as well, that it is important to celebrate the moments that we feel that because we might have many moments where we don't feel that. And those days can feel really hard and those moments can feel really hard. And to know that we do have glimmers of the experience of feeling sexy or on fire or strong or whatever it might be for us, those moments deserve celebration. So I think it's, I think it's a wonderful wonderful element to bring in for women and and to start to also translate, I think, a little bit of grace in our days too. That if you have a moment when you're like, oh, I hate the way that I look right now, then can that be even slightly rephrased? You might not have to be like, oh, I love the way that I look. Because if you're not feeling it, then yeah. your, your body's going, your brain is going to have a hard time to connect to it, right? But can you translate that to, I'm trying my best today? or I'm going on a walk later. And you know what, last night I was able to get a really nourishing meal in and that felt good. Can we translate even the moment to that we might not appreciate our bodies or uh, honor 
honor them in the way that we would hope to a sense of grace and and space for us to be human, right? To know that we are trying our best and know that we are doing what we can when we can and to allow ourselves the opportunity to just give ourselves a little bit more compassion. Yeah, I think it always feels cheesy to my clients when I bring up these type of tasks, but it's been really helpful for me personally, even just to honor like that I'm lucky I get to do X, Mm -hmm. Y, and Z or to honor certain things about myself and remind myself of how strong I am. Is my body always going to look picture perfect from day to day? No, nobody's is. Mm -hmm. Like that's a lie. If somebody tells you that they like love their body every single day. Like I just, I truly don't believe that. I think both men and women Mm -hmm. suffer from this a lot. And so um, are there any like resources or books that you recommend to people when it comes to working on these practices or things like that? Yes, I have a lot of really wonderful resources. Um, There's one book actually that ties in the element of sexual pleasure as well into this, and it's called Come As You Are by Emily Nagowski, and she is phenomenal, and that book is life-changing. I would honestly recommend women and men to read it to help uh, enhance an understanding of, of women as a whole, but I think it's a really great place for us to be able to connect with our bodies a little bit more intimately and a little bit more compassionately and also understand where some of our beliefs come from. So I want to thank you again for joining me today. Um, I am sure that we could go on and on for hours about this. There are so many topics that we did not get to cover today that I know people would be curious to hear more about. So we'll definitely have to have you back on talking about some of those other topics. But I know that this is going to be so helpful helpful for so many women out there. Um, So if you could just let everybody know where they can find you, that would be great. And then if people are not located in Austin, do you do any virtual counseling services? Yes, yes. The beauty of, we've always been able to do teletherapy, but the the beauty of uh, what just struggle we have faced over the last two plus years. Uh, What's come out of that is massive amount of accessibility. And so we now can reach um, even more through teletherapy services. And um, I am am licensed in Texas, so it does have to be someone within Texas in order for me to legally offer services. (laughs) So yes, uh, short answer, I can uh, work with women all across the state and um, where they can find me. I am on Instagram. Um, my handle is Laventure Therapy ATX. Uh, but I will be quite honest, Tessa, that I have said yes to so many wonderful, beautiful, abundant things in my life that I have really slowed down on the content creation there. So it is a place that I still use regularly. And so even if people want to send a DM or connect with me on there, I access it every single day. And so that's something that um, if if listeners are interested in, then they're welcome to reach me in that format too. Um, but they can also pop over to my website to learn a little bit more about me as well, which is just liveintertherapy.com. And we can link that because I know that can be a little bit of a struggle to spell out. So um, yeah, I'm fairly accessible. But uh, uh, you know, I have really wonderful things that I think I'm a part that I am a part of that I think have just pulled me away from content creation. So 
still here, still in my little corner of the internet, but uh, just impacting in a little bit of a different way. Great. Then I will link both of those in the show notes. And again, Alyssa, thank you so much. I think this is a great way to close out to remind everybody to be confident, to be bold, and to be you. Thanks, Tessa. We'll be right back.